Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name is Lucas. And I'm Travis. We're Southern men de-reconstructing the South. Well, hey, we've got our buddy Neil here now. Been trying to get him on for about a year. How you doing, buddy? Doing all right. I was just talking to Travis about uh, I'm getting laid off here soon. So uh, got a new job coming up and uh, I'll have plenty of time to do podcasts once that starts. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, we're glad to have you here, man. Um, we've, we're, we're going into a new year and uh, we've got a pretty good lineup. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Um, give us a lineup. Well, I won't be specific about where I'm at. But I am in North Carolina. I can be that specific. I'm in uh, the foothills. Uh, born and raised here. I was, uh, I'm actually back home now, but I've lived in various places throughout the country. I was in the Navy for a few years. Uh, lived in California for a few years. Went to a Bible school out there. Some of y'all may have heard of it, the Master's University. Uh, no, I'm not a dispensationalist, but I did enjoy my time there, and I, I do like John MacArthur. Um Let's see what else. What 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 do you want to know specifically? Leaving it open ended like that, man. I talk forever, and this podcast be five hours long. More specifically, like uh, so, one of the things that we introduced about when when uh, in our introduction podcast is both me and Lucas uh, laid out things that we brought to the table for okay. uh, at, you know our prerequisites of what we what we could input in this podcast. So. Um, Lucas well, is I, heavy heavier into like philosophy and child rearing and that kind of stuff. I'm more the practical um gardening homesteading type stuff, but you know, what what uh what is your area of expertise? Well, I'm really I'm really big on southern religion. Uh specifically Baptist cuz I'm I'm a Baptist. I was uh, I can give my testimony a brief rundown of that in a minute, but um I've been a Baptist most of my life. I've been a Southern Baptist most of my life. Um, and so that's that's my biggest area of interest is trying to figure out what in the world is going on, why we have so many weird beliefs as Baptists that uh, that we can barely even define. Like our identity is, it's a struggle right now. We're having an identity crisis. And that's why I always, people ask me, you know, are you a Baptist? I'm like, barely. Like, what do you mean by barely? And then I have to go into this whole spiel about how, you know, Baptists are so far from their roots. Uh, if 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 a denomination, if you can call us that, can be deracinated, Baptists are deracinated. We're, we've we've clipped our roots, and now we're just floating around in the ether, picking up all sorts of uh, religious beliefs, being blown about to and fro as we're exhorted not to be, in Scripture. Uh, but, you know, a lot of Baptists have reduced our faith to as something as simple as just believer's baptism. That's it. That's all you need to believe in to be a Baptist. And then they run with that. And at the same time, they incorporate all these weird beliefs, which we'll get into. Uh, and that's kind of our topic for today, uh, because of someone on Facebook had raised the question. And I'll, I'll let Travis bring that up here in a minute. But I guess that you could say that's what I kind of bring to the table. Uh, I, it's kind of like my shtick. I, I or pet peeve rather all the weird things that Baptists believe and uh, how strident some Baptists can be. Uh, you know, you got the more reformed guys who 
are, are they're just they're just as dogmatic and just as weird as independent fundamentalists on some things and it's almost legalistic to some degree uh and then you have others who you know they have this uh lewis perry schaefer view of of, of theology where they signed a chick track or they went down to the altar and got saved quote unquote and haven't been to church in 50 years and then they die and then you hear the preacher at the funeral say i knew little little jimmy john he came to the altar eight years old and got baptized and then everybody's thinking in their mind well that guy was you know in the blue light district an awful lot and he had a funny thing about him uh and he hated god but yeah sure he went to heaven because you know he got saved and baptized at eight and so that, stuff like that uh that's that's a that's a lot of what I focus on. Um, I'm really big into Southern history. Well, I'm actually getting into that more and more. Uh, I've recently, I like like uh, like Lucas. Uh, I'm a recovering libertarian. Uh, very big into the Southern conservative uh, area of things, like with Richard Weaver, and I'm really I'm getting into uh, Robert Louis Dabney and Thornwell and and all these guys who are important figures uh, to me and uh, to our heritage here in the South. And uh, I love country music. <laughs> One of the things I've always appreciated with our conversations has been your focus on the historical aspects of things. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even before you, you jump ship out of libertarianism, you were always keen to talk about where ideas came from. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's one of the things I'm most looking forward to is having that aspect because I mean I'm I'm trying I'm going back to some of the primary sources on some things uh, I I I I care about what Davis and Forrest and and what Lee and what Jackson were all doing and what they said uh, yeah. and I'm trying to go back to the original sources on those but you've got a real <laughs> you've got a real um, eye for the threads that kind of uh, have been generated in the South and, and how those threads kind of intertwine together. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, in, that input in our conversation. Yeah. Um, do y'all have the, the question that was brought up? I said that we talked about it on our show. Does, do y'all have that pulled up right now? Uh, you, you mean the, um, uh, the Andrew message? Anybody, I mean, do you want to set the stage for well, fun? Okay, so let, let's ask the, the let's ask this question. Um, how does the question relate to that topic, or well, does it? I'll, I'll read what it says. Is someone should write a book or do a podcast about how they were raised in a fundamentalist church in the Bible Belt with strict conservative parents, and they turned out perfectly fine with no trauma or other imaginary emotional problems or resentments towards the church. It would be hilarious and a good way to make the modern evangelical new male squirm. Before we actually answer this and, and you know, give our takes on it, um, I think we should define what is fundamentalism and what was the beginnings of the fundamentalist movement in America, namely in the southern states. Well, I would call fundamentalism the southern Christianity um, yeah. at least old school fundamentalism. When I say old school fundamentalism, I mean like the original intent of the, the, the yeah. fundamentalists that came up with that term, uh, oh. cause they were fighting the progressive movement that came from mm-hmm. 
The Yankees. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to claim to be an expert on this, but what I do know off the top of my head is originally the the originally fundamentalist, like you said, like a lot of things in the South, it started off with good intentions and then things went awry. You know, any anti-intellectualism became part of fundamentalism where people just they just had a, a formal adherence to certain propositions dogmatically even, but they didn't even understand what it was they believed. They just knew that they had these set of beliefs and they had to believe in it to be in the the crowd. And that's where you get the, I guess you'd call it a schism within fundamentalism where you have evangelicalism breaking off of that. And so it's basically like, I guess you could say it's, there's a line of succession of, of legitimate, biblical adherence that it flows through the early fundamentalists and then breaks off and goes with the evangelicals. And now in our era, uh, you know, for us three evangelicals are splitting. And so you're seeing a faithful few staying consistent, breaking away from evangelicalism as it goes, as it goes awry now, like the original, like the earlier fundamentalists. Uh, Like I said, I don't, I don't claim to be an expert. That's just the way I've seen it. Uh, I've, I've studied some about William Jennings Bryan and the, uh, the controversy uh, over evolution being taught in schools. Uh, ironically, Bryan was a, was a uh, progressive, uh, if you can believe that, early on. But he actually fought to keep Darwinism out of the public schools. He fought on the side uh, of, of the fundamentalists. Um, so there might be something I need to dig into more, but there might be some implications there as to why fundamentalists turn so anti-intellectual in time. Uh, thoughts on that? Well, I think one of the biggest reasons that it did turn into this anti-intellectual movement is because so many people were, were throwing out these secular sources. So mm-hmm. you have to think this is before the internet era really took off. All these fundamentalists, they had these these certain key tenets. And um, just to do a little small rabbit trail, the, these key tenets are something like the virgin birth, um, you know, uh, the, the, well, the biggest one that you actually have to believe in a God, not just some type of spiritual entity that a lot of the Unitarians started believing in. Uh, I think I want to say one of the tenets was six-day creationism. Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, what, what was another one? Oh yeah. That, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he died and rose again. And, uh, basically the apostolic creed, right? So you have, um, you have all these, the, these certain tenets that you had to hold in order to be a fundamentalist. And I think the reason they went the way of the anti-intellectuals, and I'm not even sure that's a proper term because I know, Several that we would, you know, we would probably, even us would probably classify as anti-intellectuals, but they're actually fairly smart. But the reason they got branded that is because the average fundamentalist in the pew did not have access to a lot of these uh, source, you know, the, the, the sources and the, the book learning and stuff to actually articulate their faith via a scientific framework. All right. Mm-hmm. The only things that was getting published was secular secularism basically you know the only things about the origin of you know the origin of humans was darwinism and i think that's what pushed them off into the quote-unquote fringes or the 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 anti-intellectuals that we know today yeah yeah coming from my end 
Um, I, I think there's, there's something of a cultural aspect, uh, across several different spheres. Um, so the, I, I, I think within the last 200 <laughs> years or so with the rise of empiricism, the church became less and less of, um, an educating force and it, and it more or less just circled the wagons. Um, and instead of going out and breaking new ground, which traditionally the church had done, um, they just became so insistent, they felt attacked, and so they became so insistent on the basic propositions that, in, in a way, they got kind of lazy. Um, it was just stick your heels in the dirt and don't let up. And so when there were new entire branches of you know, sciences, um, when psychology was kicking off, when, um, you had modern biology kicking off these kinds of things, instead of dealing with the topics on their own ground, they just wanted to circle the wagons and repropose the propositions that they already held. And, there's a way in which that was valid because they had already established themselves as, as the ruling position. Um, but there's a way in which it backfired too, is that the kind of revolution that came about with empiricism uh, wanted to get rid of tradition as a thing. And they strictly wanted to go off of sheer reason. And you saw this within the French revolution and where they had the cult of reason. And he was entirely uh, uh, what can man understand and decide for himself. That's what's true. So this did pre predominantly come from the North. And I think the South uh, had a, a negative reaction in that instead of bolstering ourselves by understanding the other side, we just circled the wagons and said, this is what we believe. And we're not going to even talk about it. Well, well, two of the reasons that, that I would just, I would surmise from this, the reason that we circled the wagons and we didn't actually go out, fight, and win was because, well, for two factors, two huge factors. One, the South was going through Reconstruction. Yeah. Um, we, we, you know, all of our men basically, well, not all of them, but the majority of our men died in war or was maimed or scarred by war. Okay, so there wasn't a whole lot of fight left in them. And those that were left, they probably were not the most intellectual bunch. Um, just going to face facts here. But the biggest thing, the, the, the hugest thing that still affects us even to our day, the reason that they didn't go out and fight is because of their eschatology. Uh, I know we talk about that a lot on the podcast, but I think that's a crucial thing because what you believe actually matters. So whenever you yeah. think that we're all just going to get raptured away, that everything must get worse, well you kind of can't help but to go by the wayside into um, irrelevance, basically. So all at, these... at that point, you're just holding on until things fall apart. Right, right. I mean, yeah. you know, why yeah. why would we want to polish the brass on the Titanic when it's going down, right? It's like they had hope and hopelessness. It's what they were... It was an easy escapism, is what it was. Or I, a defeatist, I, I like a to jokingly... Mentality. I like to jokingly call it Christian nihilism. 
Yeah. I mean, is it? I mean, is that wrong? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not not entirely, no. But it, there, there's a hope that they have, but it's not a hope in a, a temporal victory. It's entirely a spiritualized victory, and I see this yeah. in the the Amil camp as well. And it's why I tease them about being pessimistic post-millennial. Um, well, you, th- you think about it. These guys, they don't like it when you when you accuse them of being Gnostic. And it, it, it's become one of those tropes. Like, oh, that's easy to accuse someone of being a Gnostic. And that's, it's become common. It's like, well, when all your emphasis is on the spiritual, well, yeah, that's that's the implication. It's like you think that the world is so bad that we shouldn't even bother focusing on it. And it's all self-fulfilled prophecy. I said this earlier today that you, when you combine all these things, the anti-intellectualism of Finney, the carnal Christianity of Lewis Berry Schaefer, the pietism of the of the charismatic movement, would you know, which is just essentially navel gazing. When you combine all this stuff, you you get the defeat. You get at once you get a defeatist mentality, and and, and a sort of escapism where it says, well, things are going to get bad. So I'm just going to sit here, and, and it's true, as the saying goes, they're so, they're so heavenly mindly that they're of no earthly good. They won't even evangelize in a lot of instances. Right. Particularly, I, I'm speaking specifically to, to, to Baptists. I, I know this, this applies to a, a broader set of Southern evangelicals, but Baptists specifically in my area of North Carolina, that's just meant if they're on, on, on Sunday morning, Sunday night, that's it. That's the, that's the, that's the heat of their religious fervor. Uh, I mean, some of them will be KJV only. You'll get them stirred up on that, and they'll they'll, they'll sit there and, and beat that pulpit for hours on end. But you can't talk to them about anything else. Don't talk to them about masculinity. Don't talk about why their wives run all over them and why they don't lead in their household and why their kids are all addicted to drugs and pornography, because they'll just tell you, "Well, this this is the way things are are going are going right now because the end of the the end of the world is coming." It's like Seriously, you're the reason things are this way. Like people like you with this mindset, it's all self-fulfilling prophecy. Apparently, it's all apparent. It's not actual. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's almost like pretend we're in Rome at the time of Augustine. You know, he he probably had to deal with this. I'm not I'm not so certain. But thank God that there was a contingent of Christians who decided, you know what, maybe we should preserve civilization because. This might not actually be the end, and they did. And then when the, the you know when Rome fell and Christianity filled that vacuum, boom! Western civilization exploded and took over the known world. But trying to convince Christians of that today, uh, it's 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 almost impossible. And here's the irony: is that even though Augustine went from being a killist, a premillennial uh, belief in its early, early or uh, early development. He became amillennial, but despite his pessimism, he still saw the value in preserving the oracles of our faith, the scriptures, in preserving history, in preserving the classics. He saw the significance of that, not only him, but the monks in, in greater uh, uh, Hibernia, uh, Ireland at the time. So it's not like it, even even if you have a negative outlook, a pessimistic outlook, you should still have the inclination to preserving this stuff for our posterity because we don't know the time or day. So even if you are pessimistic, you have no excuse for sitting on top of your trailer with a tinfoil hat on waiting for the rapture. That's not how things go. That's not how it's supposed to be. 
We, we, I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> we, we like to use the phrase, uh, no one's coming to save you, uh, particularly yeah. in relation to, you know, Trump, QAnon, um, even, even a rapture. Uh, we, we like to point, point towards, you know, no one's coming to save you, so go out and do the work. Uh, Christ says, no man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven, right? Well, so, yeah, don't exactly. look back, you know, um, but, uh, yeah. So, what, so how, how does this all wrap into what Andrew is saying right here? Like, we, we've laid out some of the good and the bad of it, but, uh, and, I, and I think we're going to touch more about that later, but how if, how, how, <laughs> not all of fundamentalism is bad, okay? There, right. There's a ton of good stuff in it. You know, we've, we've just sat there and, you know, harped on the, the bad of it, but each of us was raised in, you know, fundamentalist circles. Now, um, I'm a little bit different than the average person that was raised under an IFB church or a Southern Baptist church. I was raised in a um, very backwoods uh, Pentecostal church. I would still classify that church as fundamentalist, even though, um, you know, there was a lot of weird stuff that went on. There was a lot of stuff that most of the people would call liberal, but it was mm -hmm. still fundamentalist in the sense that there was certain tenets that it held to and it held to dogmatically. Most people couldn't even tell you why they held to them, but they held to them. Yeah. Um, now, I was raised under a female pastor. So that was one of the things that, you know, was a bit too That's what's wrong with him. <laughs> There's plenty <laughs> of stuff wrong with me. <laughs> but but looking back, like a lot of these things that, you know, a lot of people that are, quote, deconstructing their faith or something, I'm just like, well, that's just normal for me to believe. Like, it's just normal for me to believe in a virgin birth because I was raised with it, right? It's normal for me to believe in six-day creationism because I was raised with it. I was inundated with it. Dare I say I was... Um, uh, uh, br brainwashed into it. You know, brainwashed is not always a bad thing, right? Uh, right. But you know, at the same time, there's still some bad that was attached to that. But looking back as a whole, I th I think it was, you know, good for me. You know, because when I did come to the faith, there wasn't these base core tenets that I struggled with. Like I never struggled with, you know, whether or not the Old Testament was true or not. Uh, a lot of people that, you know, were raised in these liberal denominations, they have to go back and dig and, like, oh, did Joshua really do that? Did did Moses really do that? No, like, the scripture says it, so he did, simple as, right? I'm just a simple as type of guy. You just had to fill in the gaps, essentially. That's the same yeah. thing with me. Yeah. You know, I had a, I was actually, I was actually raised uh, Roman Catholic to about fourth grade. Uh, and then I went to, we joined a Wesleyan church and we were there for a while. Uh, and then eventually we joined a Southern Baptist church and I was, I was there, you know, I've been a Baptist in some shape or form uh, for the rest of my life. You know, at some point I wasn't a Southern Baptist. I was joining, I joined a, a non-denominational churches, but you know, it was in the vein of MacArthur. So, and those are credo Baptist churches. So in, in a sense, they're still Baptist. Uh, and I was there for a while. Uh, eventually I came back uh, and joined a small Southern Baptist church the next town over, which I'm actually in the process of helping to uh, to replant. Uh, but my background's just the same. You know, I grew up. I had I had these core tenets that I held to, uh, and I, exactly, I couldn't I couldn't explain why. And when I was in the Navy, 
boy, I got hammered with questions from from atheist friends and stuff about about God and how you know theodicy was the big thing. If if God is so good, then why do all these bad things happen? And I'm just at the time I couldn't answer these questions. So what did that do? That didn't drive me away from the faith. That drove me further in, and it made me ask questions. The first question was. Why the heck didn't anybody teach me this? And why am I so unprepared? You know, I didn't learn anything. Like, I can't explain any of this stuff, so I had to start reading. And I didn't go to the Baptist to figure this stuff out because we didn't have anything that I knew about back then anyway. So I went to R.C. Sproul. He was the first, him and Dinesh D'Souza. Those are the two people I read to try to figure out these answers so I could give give people an answer. And, of course, I read my Bible. You know, I'm not, I'm not dumb. I'm, I was a good Baptist. I read my Bible a lot. But yeah, I, I'm there with you. I had a pretty eclectic upbringing, but eventually I landed in in the Baptist uh, milieu, uh, so to speak. Yeah, for my part, um, one of the greatest things was my my father's work ethic. Um, well, I would say life ethic. It is just the 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 biblical virtues that he espoused are still a, a centerfold in my life. And even though I understand them much better now than maybe he could have explained them to me uh, because he was dealing with some knowledge, knowledge issues himself. Um, it it's pervasive on any level of Christianity and even some of the you know, the more liberal or pagan elements of the Christian church, they still have that Christian ethic to a large degree. Now they're losing it because they're embracing modern liberalism. Um, but as they, as they remain steeped in the word and they, they, they're in the peripheral area of the word, uh, they retain this ethic on life and how to deal with life dealing with truth and justice, dealing with um, uh, love, a, a, a real understanding of what love is and how to apply it. Um, these things are pervasive in, in the way that we understand the Bible. It's, it's very unmistakable. Uh, my background was more of a Church of God, Pentecostal background, um, you know, lots of lots of craziness on the on the front end. Um, as as we got out of that, uh, you know, I I kind of went out into the world a bit. Um, rebelled in a in a sense. I rebelled against against my my father, uh, but I still held to that core ethic. And even when I was out into the world, and I was very angry in a lot of different ways. Um, that was so ingrained in me that I couldn't, I couldn't get past it. And I really didn't want to, I understood it was true. And it's, it's true, not just in the fact that it, it's very practical, but also in that, um, it just rings true. You understand it to be true that when you deal with people in a truth and a, a truthful way, and you, you try to strive for justice, uh, in some manner and you attempt to love people that I mean those core elements are very effective and they they're very good and they show themselves to be good 
by their existence, their their self sustaining um, virtues. You know, not to butt in, but to answer Andrew's question, at no point in my upbringing, I mean, I had, I, I'm not going to get too personal in here, but I had some pretty traumatic things happen to me when I was a kid. And the church was very legalistic. One of the churches that we, that we went to, uh, which is defunct, it doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, <clears throat> they had their issues. And they're very fundamentalist, but at no point, man, at no point did I say, I hate the church. At no point did I say, I want to get away from the South. Our culture sucks. It's a terrible place to be. When I joined the Navy, dude, I, I got stationed in Norfolk, Virginia, so I could still be close to home and be technically still in the South. Now, I did go to California for a time. And I didn't hate every minute of it. I was in an oasis, essentially. It was a little conservative pocket out there. And I made a lot of good friends, but man, I couldn't wait to get back to North Carolina. I, mean, I took a picture of the welcome to North Carolina sign as we were driving across the Tennessee border. I, I was so excited to be back. Like I missed, I missed North Carolina. And it wasn't because I had some sort of like weird obsession with it. I had a lot of junk happen to me. Uh, a, a lot of drama growing up, a lot of religious uh, issues too. But at no point did I harbor resentment towards anything because I don't know if it was at the back of my mind. I'd never been taught anything about God's sovereignty really until after I got out of the Navy and I went to Bible school and really got into it. So I wasn't – but at the back of my mind, I always thought God's got a purpose for all this. Uh, you know, There's a reason why certain things happen to us. Even in my young brain, having read my King James Bible over and over and over again, I could discern the fact that we go through bad things, bad things happen to us, but ultimately it's for our good and God's glory. And that's always been at the back of my mind. I didn't move to Canada and then write blog articles and tweets hating on the South, you know, out of some passive aggressive behavior, out of some unrepentant resentment, as, as, as some folks do. Uh, I love the South. And, yeah, I harp on some things around here. That I hate, that I hate to see. I hate the superficiality. I hate the anti-intellectualism. I hate the emotionalism that comes from the pulpits. I hate the carnal Christianity. And I'm going to harp on that because I care about the people around here and I care about my culture. I don't want to see my town turn into Greensboro. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Greensboro, but it's it's like the San Francisco of North Carolina, or well, maybe Asheville is. It depends on who you ask, but. I don't harbor resentment towards my religious upbringing. I appreciate it all. I even appreciate the Catholic church I grew up in and the friends that I made there. I appreciate the Wesleyan church, even though that was, that was the weirdest experience of my life religiously. I appreciate it all. And I understand that it worked for my benefit because here I am, I'm back here now. And I understand the significance of the Bible belts. I wrote this in a blog article, and I'll, I'll give myself a shameless plug later on. But the, the our roots are so deep, are so deep here, that even with the 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 mindless dogmatic fundamentalism, it's still here. It's persevering. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like it's still here, and the, what I want to do, at least in my area, is get people back to it and, and have them understand why it is they believe what it is they profess. So they could go out, and the new generation that's up, brought up isn't brought up in Yankeedom, the liberalism that's that's starting to inundate the South 
with all the transplants. It, we need to be a force to be reckoned with again, like we were before. And if they want to come down here and kill us again, they can try. But I want to I want to be that remnant of civilization that was preserved like in Augustine's time. And I think we have the power to do that. And we have the resources still yet to do that. And that's what I want to do. So sorry. I'm off, my, think, I'm off my soapbox again. No, 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 no. That, that's, a, that's a good way of answering the question because it's it, – our criticisms, and I, Travis and I have already you know, spent several podcasts just complaining about how there's some really <laughs> dumb stuff going on in the South right now. Um, and, you know, we, we got a little bit into it with our eschatology podcast, which we need to do a part two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the, our, our criticisms are not from a place of us wanting to attack the South. You know, we're, we are Southern men and we're trying to go back to what the South was in a sense. It's not, it's not nostalgia, right? We're not just trying right. to, we don't want to go back to 1860. We want to take the principles that were there already, and we want to apply them to what we're in right now. We want to move forward, but we want to move forward and progress morally, not not degress. You know, the 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 degeneration of the entire United States is is been infesting the South for a while, and one of the biggest ways it's done that is single motherhood. I won't rant about that, but. You know, our, our criticisms are coming from a place of love for the South and for a love and from a love for the Southern people. It's not a, you know, that, again, this is how we phrase the entire thing. The Dixie Polis, the, the community of the South, the, the people of the South. We are we are a people and we should retain that. We should be that people. But we need to we need to baptize what we are into Christ such that the sin falls away and the virtues that, that you know, come out of the Southern perspective and the Southern way of life, those shine forth. One, one thing that I've noticed is um, uh, getting back to what Neil was saying earlier, you, you were saying you, you want, you long for the South. You wanted to come back for the South. Well, all the, all the people that I know <clears throat> that I went to school with, I went to church with that, they weren't hardcore fundamental. Like they're they're they weren't raised fundamentalist. They they were raised fairly progressive. Uh, many of them really progressive, and they've all left the South to go seek their fame, fortune, or what the heck ever um, to see what the empire had to offer. And meanwhile, like I I know that I'm not broken because I'm I'm just content where I'm at. Like I live. I live on the same piece of property that I was raised on. Like literally like the same piece of property that my parents brought me home as a child. And I love it. Like, I mean that there's one, there's nothing wrong with that's very traditional for one thing, but I, I just, nothing else out there, nothing else out in America could ever satisfy me the way that my home does. I mean, sure, I've I've often you know thought about going west because you know out west there's there's whiskey, women, and gold, right? But that's that's all just that's fleeting. Like when you're rooted somewhere, you know, when you're let's see, I'm sixth generation, probably more rooted in this area. Um, uh, it, it it really means something, you know. And why would I trade that for a basket full of something <laughs> as common as gold? 
Um, or, or why would I sell my soul for something that's something like that? Um, but getting back to the, the whole progressive thing, fundamentalism and how does, how does what I just said relate? Um, well, fundamentalism, fundamentalism is essentially grounding yourself in truth. And if you're not grounded in truth theologically, then you're not going to be grounded, grounded in any other kind of cultural sense any either. So it's just an interesting observation that those that weren't rooted theologically are not rooted now, and they probably never will be rooted because it takes at least three generations to root someone. Well, I want to, I want to tap in on this real quick. You know, when we say rooted, um, there's a specific thing that needs to be understood with being rooted. Uh, The first thing is that what you're saying, uh, the way that we're trying to live a life has to be practical. It has to be implementable. It can't just be, and this is where some of the pushback against the intellectualism has come, is you've got a bunch of people uh, and their sophistry, and they're just, they're, they're, they're talking about, you know, I'm going to use the cliche, they, they're talking about how many angels can dance on the head of a pen, and there's nothing really substantive that comes from all their pontification about how you know, things are and the way things should be, et cetera. Yeah. And the second thing, and this kind of gets to what you're saying, Travis, is that what you build, the little kingdom that you, you're installing when you get married and you have kids and you, <clears throat> you want to build a little kingdom there, that kingdom can't be a transitory kingdom. And a lot of what, a lot of the problem with the South is uh, traditionally is that people who want to become more intellectual in the way that they understand things, they want to dig into, you know, what are all these things going on with Genesis? Because there's a lot of questions you've got with the way the chapters are constructed and the genre and, and what does this mean? What does that mean? Are there, is there symbolism here or there? Um, these questions can't even be asked in the South. A lot of times you become almost a pariah. Um, and so you ought to be able to ask those questions within orthodoxy. But you have to build a kingdom that's stable and that's stationary, that has actual land to it. This is my land, right? Um, this is something that you and, and Neil are, are doing. You know, y'all live on land that's generational. You've been there for a while. You and have you roots. Too, right? Yeah, I'm going back down. Um, that's that's been some of the issues the last couple of months is figuring out me moving back down to Mississippi because I was out of out of state for work for a couple of years. Um, I had some growing I had to do, but now I'm going back to my homeland and I'm reestablishing myself down there and um, becoming reinvested in in the local area. Moving away has been really great in some areas. But the kingdom that I want to establish, this little kingdom of mine that God's allowing me to build, can't just be flying in the wind. Because once it's just flying in the wind, it evaporates once I fall apart, once I die, or once something happens to me. If you yeah. have a if you have a an actual plot of land, you have a you have geography to your kingdom. It becomes stationary. It becomes something that's yours that you've built. And it, and it becomes real in that sense. It's, it's like a sacramental connection between 
because you're you're part of creation, and, and it makes no sense to me why you wouldn't want to be. You're you're physically here now. You might as well be invested here. Your closest neighbors are who? You're married and you have children. Who are your closest neighbors? Well, your wife and your kids. Those are the people you want. I mean, I, we're not we're not Presbyterians, so I apologize to our Presbyterian infant baptizing audience. But we understand the significance of an, we we no less understand the significance of ensuring that our children are raising the faith and that our posterity stays faithful, especially if you're seeking a position of eldership, which which I'm not right now, but I am seeking a position as a deacon, which we'll get into that later. <laughs> but I do want my kids to understand what the faith is and how important it is to pass the faith down to generations, not just as a as an empty formalism. But as a as a means of evangelizing the gener or the generations to come, because that's what's that's what our community is going to depend on for the future faith. We don't want to have to depend on outsiders to evangelize us. That's what happened in California. Christians became so lackadaisical out there over time that now we have people having to plant churches from out of state into California to essentially evangelize that state. Well, at least SoCal. In other places, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like Christians yeah. used to have a foothold here, and now we're having to depend on outsiders to come in. Like I, I have a friend who lives in Waseca, uh, uh, Minnesota, you know, and we we discussed at length about having about you know people in the CREC coming to North Carolina to plant churches because we don't have anybody here with the to use the euphemism the gall to really set down roots and understand what it means to be intergenerational in our evangelism. It's so superficial. We, we want to check that box that we went out, we did some street preaching, we handed out some tracts, uh, we served at the uh, abortuary, and we shouted uh, you know, to get moms not to kill their kids, which is all great and all, but what about our kids? What about our immediate community? What about my neighbors? You know what I'm saying? Like, what about the high school? Literally, there's a high school. I could throw a rock and hit the weight room from here. Like, what about them? Like, why shouldn't I be invested in my immediate community? And it, it's ridiculous. You know, I've getting, I get in arguments all the time with people. Not all, not all the time, but with some folks, we place an emphasis on going to the quote-unquote farthest reaches of the planet to, to, to do missions. And I'm like, well, we've become so focused, especially in the Southern Baptist Convention, with foreign missions that we've forgotten our own communities. And to me, that's a travesty, and it's it's an, it's an embarrassment. What well, even even worse than that, we're sending our kids off to have their minds infected by by literal communists <laughs> yeah. at universities. Yeah. Christians well, are I doing mean, the, this. The the university is is you know. I, I'm I'm from Mississippi, guys. Uh, the the high school teachers were actual communists. I don't mean uh, they were they were so left they're almost indistinguishable, or they like communist you know policies. I mean actual owned it communists. They Tommy were carpetbaggers. Yes, exactly. They're all from New England, almost all of them, uh, but they're straight up commies, and they advocate for their beliefs in. The school, the schoolroom. Um, now, you know, thankfully, my state has been one of the highest for homeschooling, um, and that's part of the reason why public, you know, well, 
that's part of the reason why education, quote unquote, in, in Mississippi gets a bad rap because they really only look at the public school systems and a few of the private school systems. Um, but homeschooling has always been big in Mississippi, and it's been big because Mississippians just don't like being told what to do. Um, so there's that. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the high school teachers were communists. The, the local community college uh, professors, uh, they loved Rousseau. They thought Rousseau was amazing. Um, yeah, one of the one of the the the, the signature uh, intellectuals behind the French Revolution. They thought he was he was his his idea of the noble savage savage was the best thing that that mankind ever came up with. And you know the, these are the people educating your children. We got into this in parental responsibilities and and public education. Those two essays. Um, you know, with parental responsibilities, kind of to what Neil's saying, um, you know, we, we would frame it the same way Dabney would, you know, how, 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 how uh, evil you must be to impart sin to your children, but not give them the gospel. Yeah. How evil must you be? How you must hate your children to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, he even brings up Napoleon, right? Napoleon, who had, you know, stomach cancer. Uh, as soon as he found out that it was it was pretty much it for him, he was going to die. He sent his doctor across the world to go to his son to make sure his son didn't contract it. And that man hated, that man was hated because he was a tyrant. And he killed a lot of people and he started a lot of wars. If that man loves his child so much that he doesn't want him to catch a disease that he had. When we know that our children are going to inherit our sins because they come from us, part of us is in those children. Why would we not preach the gospel to our own children? Now yeah. we don't in include them as covenant members. That's a, that's a Presbyterian discussion and that's an in-house discussion between Baptists and Presbyterians. We're both under the headship of Christ so we'll have that conversation, but we we are absolute advocates of proselytizing your children, and you know I I I pray with my my children before they go to bed, and I pray in the while they're while they're sitting there hands folded and and, he, and, and heads bowed, um you know Lord change my children's hearts so that they would love you. And my oldest is starting to pick that up. He's starting to realize the way that you should pray is to pray for your own heart, that, that God would change your own heart. And he's praying that as a child. And that, that you know, almost brings tears to my eyes that he would want that. And some of that, he may just want to make me happy. And I'm, uh, that's, that, that may be some of it. But, I, you know, I can't deny that I love hearing that from my, from my son. And I want him to think that way. I want him to think about the ways in which he needs to be redeemed from his own sin. Well, it's not all for naught. You're doing this, and he, hopefully he'll come to the realization you're doing this for his benefit. And it's got eternal significance. That, yes. That's, I, I do the same. I pray with my kids, and I, 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 it hurts me. It breaks my heart that, you know, I, I don't see it yet. 
You know, I mean, it's easy to catechize your kids and do confirmation and all that stuff as our Presbyterian brothers do, and then have that, a, a sort of false assurance of salvation just because they've been, they've had water poured on their head. But to truly see it happen, unfold before your eyes, genuine faith and, and regeneration, it does something to you, man. And I've, it, it's almost like I have a sense of urgency that I don't see. And, and I'm not, I don't want this to turn into a Presbyterian bashing thing, but like, I don't see that same sense of urgency in, in those brothers and sisters. But like, for me, it's like, I don't want my kids to, to grow up hating Christ. I want them to have a heart for the Lord. And so it's important to me that I inundate them with the gospel and tell them the pitfalls of sin and what that entails, because we're not born righteous. And pouring water on your head doesn't make you righteous. The Holy Spirit makes you righteous. You're not, you're not saved by acts of man. You're saved first by, by, by Christ's justification on the cross and through the Holy Spirit. And, and you, they don't, they don't, Paul says it himself, how can they be saved without hearing the gospel? They need to hear the gospel. And so it's like it, it's an imperative that we we have to be sure that we do that with our own children. We have to pray for them often. We have to see us praying, and we have to love them rightly. We can't we can't uh, what's what's the passage in scripture? Don't let our children resent us. I don't want that to be the case. I don't want to be a legalistic, dogmatic fundamentalist who beats them over the head with their Bible. I want them to see the love of Christ coming through me and how I father them, most of all. Uh, and I want the Holy Spirit to use that as a, as a testimony. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but you were making a great, excellent point, Lucas. Well, but at the same time, I mean, this kind of gets to the heart of this discussion. Like, we, we are raising them to be, well, y'all are raising them. I don't have children yet. But raising them in a strict conservative fundamentalist circles, the same right. way that we were raised. And we don't resent our parents for it. Actually, I'm even I'm I'm even being more so than my my parents. Like my dad, God bless him, he's recovering from cancer. Uh, matter of fact, we don't know if he still has it or not. So, so please be in prayer for him. Uh, <clears throat> he wasn't the best at discipling us because he was raised as a Jehovah's Witness, so he was really screwed up uh, early on. And, you know, we were Roman Catholic for a time. So my dad has an even more eclectic background than I do. But he affirms the triune God. So he's orthodox in that sense. But we have some differences, which is okay. Uh, we discuss these things. We don't get mad at each other. We, we sit down. We're civil. We, we love each other. He's my father. And it's because of my father that I'm not scared to ask questions because he's never been scared to ask questions. He's never been scared to push that envelope. But there are so many people today, they don't want to analyze what it is they say they believe they just want to go through the motions and profess this or that and not truly dig into it why they believe what they believe and I, I don't want that for my kids i want to instill in them not just what it is they should believe but really why like and, and i can't just say it's because it's in the bible well I, I have to teach them how to interpret the bible and i don't want them interpreting the bible like spinoza i want them interpreting the bible like augustine like paul like Jesus interpreted the Bible. And you got nuts today in Christianity who say, I'm not an apostle. So you're not an apostle, so you shouldn't interpret scripture like the apostles. It's like, man, 
if I don't interpret scripture like the apostles, then how the heck can I read Isaiah 53 and say it's about Jesus? Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing. I, I think I think really the only thing that I do different than my father is I try to be more careful to explain why I'm doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly, my dad was, exactly. my dad was usually, um, you know, do this because I said, and that was it. And I've made an effort when I talk to my children, uh, you know, you need to do this. And they ask me why. And, you know, sometimes you have to just be honest with your children and say, look, there are things that you don't understand and you need to trust me. Just do what I've told you, and when you're old enough to understand, I will explain all of it to you, but you won't get it right now. Just do what I've asked, and and that's gone a long way with my children, uh, because when they hear that, they understand that, you know, Daddy does know more than I do. Maybe I ought to listen to what he says, and they do, they're, they're a lot more uh, amicable when you when you go that route. Instead of just trying to bring the hammer down, you know, there's times you got to, you know, you got to give a good old whooping because they're just being <laughs> obstinate. Uh, and they're, they're trying to be little hellions and you, you have to be the, the household tyrant. But that's not every time, um, you know, but but, you know, th- this also comes from something my dad taught me. Uh, he wasn't the best at explaining in the heat of the moment. But one of the things that he he always did with us, we would sit down for dinner and one of us kids would say something and he would interrogate the statement. You know, why do you believe that? Well, how do you know that's true? Well, where did you get that from? And he would just push and prod and poke and try to find out what, what you're actually trying to say. And that puts you into a mindset of asking questions. Because if he asks you a question you don't have an answer to, well, the trick here is, well, I've got to beat dad, so I want to answer the question so he doesn't have a way to, you know, come back at me. I, I want to make sure dad doesn't have any questions. That's the that's the goal. And it it really pushed, you know, it, you know, the, the joke around the family is dad created a bunch of lawyers um, because, you, you know, when you're when you don't know the answer, you get really creative and making up answers that excuse your own responsibility to answer the question. Um, but it, it's, it was good in that it, it made you ask questions when things are just presented to you. And that, that one thing was one of the reasons why I pushed back against the anti-intellectualism of that that's in the South. Um, you know, I ask them about a thing and they would, you know, let, let's say evolution. They would say, well, it's evolution or Christ, Right. I've heard that so many times and I say, well, what do you mean? Why can't you have, you know, evolution and, and, and the Bible go hand in hand. Why can't they do that? Uh, the guy, a lot of the people in the South on the ground, you know, the layman, they can't answer that question with any real substance because I don't think they understand evolution as a theory. And I really don't think they understand Genesis very well. And so, you could get, you know, this is why internet atheism became such a prevalent force a, a, about a decade ago, is because a lot of the people on the ground, they can't answer the questions. 
and you know, internet atheists over there tipping their fedoras. That it's a lot of dumb <laughs> arguments. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that the arguments are valid per se. I'm right. saying that the that they, it does require some level of education to really defeat the argument, and you can make the atheist argument look dumb. It's really not that hard, but you have to understand where they're coming from. And you know, I you know, especially when I was younger, I was spitting out a lot of bad information about you know the uh, evolution, macroevolution versus microevolution, speciation how genetics work, all of this stuff. It was really bad information. Um, this is one of the areas that I think uh, the Creation Museum has handled really well because they actually get into the science on a lot of their things. They actually deal with uh, the science when it comes to, you know, biology or, uh, you know, speciation, things like this. Um, I have some hesitations with some of their, their dealings with Genesis, but... Um, I really appreciate the work that they've done in bringing scientists forward who don't buy into the macroevolution of the atheist, and they show how it doesn't work. Those that's been some really good things that have come from the South, um, and really pushed back against the hegemony of modern science. But the the yeah. people on the ground need to know this stuff too. It it doesn't just need to be your pastor. You ought to be pushing your pastor to know more. You ought to be asking questions your pastor don't know that doesn't know how to answer. And then when your pastor gets this question, he ought to go find out how to answer it. Um, you know, there, there, it, it, there's nothing wrong with an honest questioning of your faith. If, if your desire in interrogating or even deconstructing your faith is to find out really why you believe what you believe. That's the most helpful thing that you can do. And, and yeah. the, the, the anti-intellectualism that I'm speaking of has been predominantly people telling me, oh, don't read that. Oh, don't listen to that. Oh, don't read Plato or Aristotle or Socrates because they weren't Christian. They have nothing to say. Don't read uh, uh, Jordan Peterson because he's a pagan. He's got nothing of, to say. It's a form of book burning. Yes, it absolutely is. And, and that's foreign to Christianity to begin with. It was, yeah. the, it was the, the Christian monks. It was the Christian intellectuals. It was, it, it was the Saxons uh, who preserved all of the pagan myths and all of the pagan legends and all of the pagan histories because they believed that those things ought to be preserved and then redeemed through Christ. Right. That, that you could understand your own roots and be a part of your own roots. You but know, re, but have have your own culture, your own people be redeemed through this baptism into Christ. Uh, and, and this is the tradition that I would pull from in talking about the South, because I think yeah. we've gotten so far into modern liberalism that, you know, well, it's it's there's nothing wrong with a with a woman. I'm going to harp on single mothers here. There's nothing wrong with a woman uh, divesting herself of a husband and just having kids at the house and working. There's nothing wrong with that. Doesn't matter how much, uh, you know, temporal problems come out of that. It doesn't matter that she's actually denying her role to be under subjection to a husband. It doesn't matter that she's raising, you know, if I can be a little spicy here, raising bastards that aren't going to be 
men because they don't they haven't had a man to teach them. Right. None of that matters. I can be free and do whatever I want. It's infested the South. Right. Well, can can we get can we get a little biblical here for a second? No, please do. Not going to get uh, mad at that at all. I want to read the Shema just real quick because okay. I don't think the Jews at the time understood the implications of this, but we do because since then Christ has come and has become the the fulfillment of all scripture. So it says here, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord and thou shalt love the Lord, thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And here's the part that to your point and to my point, Travis's point about teaching our children, listen to this and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt uh, talk of them. When thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which we Swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not. And I could go on, but the point here is about teaching these truths to our children. Why? I don't understand. Like, you have to be a uh, a Marcion, a Marcionite, to really divorce the new covenant from this passage. Like, why would you not want to teach this to your children? This is not talking about new believers, as I've heard some people ironically allegorize this passage. Oh, it's talking about new believers, not necessarily like if we were to reinterpret it in light of the new covenant that this is talking about. No, no, this is talking about our children. We need to teach them. We need to inundate them with the truths of Scripture, because how else are they going to be converted? We can't leave it up to somebody else. We're not going to leave it up to Awana. We're not going to leave it up to Joe Schmo missionary preaching on the college campus when our kids have rejected Christ until they turn 19 and go off to college. Like, no, we need to do this now. Right? I mean, you hear what I'm saying here? Like, it yeah. makes no sense. It makes no sense to delay. And that's what a lot of folks do. I, I, when I first started attending my church, this was a problem I, I saw early on and, and it, it's funny because there were a couple, a couple of parents at our church that got mad at my wife and I for bringing our kids into service and not putting them into nursery. It's like, well, because I want my kids sitting under the authority and the preaching of the word. I know they can't quite understand it yet, but the Holy Spirit and the Lord works in mysterious ways. And, and guess what? If, if they get used to sitting under the word of under the teaching of the word of God right now, it'll be easier to it'll be easier to them when they get older because there are kids that sit in service, man. They can't make it through the whole service. One plays video games, another one gets up and goes to the bathroom for 30 minutes. It's like because they spent their earlier years in nursery the whole time. Right. I get it. I get it. There are some kids. My youngest, he's he's a baby. He's still suckling. He's a year old. Obviously, he's not understanding things. And my, my wife and I, we, had, we take turns taking him out of the out of the sanctuary. But still, yeah, it's like the more exposure they get, the the more faithful we are 
in our roles as fathers, as parents, in ensuring their salvation through the hearing of the teaching of Scripture. And I don't understand this, like, let's shove them in a closet for an hour while the rest of us sit, get to sit and enjoy uh, taking notes <laughs> in, in, under the preaching. Like, it, it makes no sense to me. Like, why would you, why would you want that? Because they're not getting that in Sunday school. I'd say that right now. They're not getting the same quality teaching that, that's coming from the pulpit. If anything, I know they're not at my church. I, I mean, and this is not, I'm not coming down. I, I know some folks in my church are probably going to hear this. I'm not coming down on my church for this. That's the point of our replanting efforts right now is to, to, to make sure everybody grows and that everybody understands the significance of what it means to be uh, consistently teaching our children uh, and, and the way that they should go because they're the future of the church, right? Like our, my pastor harps on uh, people getting out there and evangelizing. And he knows, if you ask him, he knows it's it's important that the parents in our church evangelize their kids because they're the future. They're the ones who are going to be up behind the pulpit. They're the ones who are going to probably be implementing a plurality of elders because I don't see it happening in this generation. I hope it does. We need a plurality of elders. We can't have the responsibility of the church on one man's shoulders. He knows that. Everyone knows that, uh, at least all of us who are trying to affect a replanting. Uh, but my point is the kids, the kids need the gospel and they need it in such a way that we're not being, uh, we're not being overbearing or lording it over them. Cause I know, that, I know that's the beef with some of these guys and and they leave the South and they can't wait to leave because they, their parents lorded it over them. They beat them over the hill with their Bibles. I get that. I sympathize with that. But at the same time, it's like, you need to be resilient. You need to, gird up your loins or to use a, a euphemism, not really euphemism, a, a more slang term in the South. You need to sack up because these things are, these are, are of eternal significance. Like you don't, you don't have the luxury of sitting here whining about your upbringing and being scarred by it. Like this is of eternal value. You need to see it for what it is. It's like Marine Corps boot camp. If your dad was a jerk to you and he beat you over the head with the Bible, look at that as having gone through boot camp. Now you have the opportunity to do it right now. You have the opportunity to be like the man who walks by the way and uses grace instead of law. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? I'm sorry. I'm on a soapbox again. Well, one, no, of the, one of the other things that uh, you know kind of stands out, you say that your kids don't understand. I, I can't remember how old your kids are. Um, five, three, and one. Okay, so, so your five-year-old is probably coloring during the preaching. Okay, he he might be sitting there still. I don't know how how well behaved your five year old is, but 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 in my in my church the five year olds. He's a hoodlum. (laughs) In my church, the five year olds are typically on their knees coloring, you know, on the seat while the pastor's preaching. But those five year olds could probably tell you, not not quite in depth, but what the pastor was saying. You know, and, yeah, and so, he soaks it up. He yeah. Soaks it up. yeah, and over years, over years, that, that's just building upon building upon building. And and another thing is, is how do kids learn things? They learn by imitating their parents. They watch mm-hmm. their parents and they learn. How do they learn to eat? They watch you eat with a fork. Yeah. How do they learn to talk? They mimic you. So now, how are they going to learn how to worship? 
I'm not using flanagraphs and hand puppets if that's what you're asking. That, 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 dang right. I, I mean, think about it. Think about it. This, this, this is so simple yet so profound. They're going to watch their parents worship, and they're going to learn how to worship via imitation. There's no manger babies to use a King of the Hill uh, reference for our audience. <laughs> well, and, and this is why I said my father's, my father's life ethic was one of the most profound things to me. Uh, my my father actually tried to live out what he said he believed. He actually loved his wife. He actually loved his children. He made great efforts to do that. Uh, you know, we since you know this since this podcast started with Dabney, we've been heavily covered, colored by Dabney. But you know, it it really goes back to you know the very first essay that we went through that was a sermon actually on parental responsibility and he goes you know to malachi uh you you turn the the hearts of the fathers to the children and when the fathers really discipline themselves it's it's an introspective thing at first when you when you look at yourself and you change yourself to do that which you preach you know, if you're in the if you're in the sermon, uh, if you're in the church while the sermon's going on, and you're playing around and you're finding excuses to leave or whatever, your children are going to mimic you. They're going to do that. <clears throat> if you're inattentive, you don't remember what the sermon was. They're going to be inattentive. They're not going to remember what was going on either. Mm-hmm. You have to discipline yourself, and. You know, one of the ways that I've done this with my kid is he and I talk about the sermon after the fact. My oldest, he's old enough. He's six. He's old enough to kind of get an idea about what's going on. And, you know, he's not exactly, you know, swimming in the depths, but he understands enough to get the idea. And and we can talk about how we can take whatever whatever principle or whatever whatever uh, moral was being given by the text and learn how to apply that. Um, one of the ways in which we talk, you know, one of our, our, our pastor was going through uh, and, and reading about Jonah and, you know, we, we sat down and we talked about what it meant to love your enemies, that you would, you would go so far as to give your enemies the gospel. You understand that these people are doing evil to you because they are sinful and they're stuck in their own wretched position and that they hate God. And because they hate God, they hate you. So your job as a Christian, sometimes you personally, you got to take the L man. Sometimes you got to lose. Sometimes you have to sacrifice. If that means that that person comes to Christ and that means that you may take it on the jaw a few times. That may be you, you lose, you know, get in the first place at whatever competition you're trying to get. That may be that you don't speak up about something when, you know, technically you have every right to speak up. Sometimes that means you absorbing a lot of hits because you want that person to come to Christ. And when it's coming from that person, you have a tendency to just want to defend yourself. Yeah. Um. 
but well, it's, it's, know, a, it's a matter it's a matter of resilience you know it's like i was talking about this last night uh with a friend of mine from church who came over uh you know we're working our way through zach garris's masculine masculine christianity and it's like we we develop resilience like uh you know martial artists they'll they'll, they'll punch boards they get calluses on their on their knuckles or they'll kick bamboo trees until their shins can break another man's leg it's like well that's that's what that's kind of like how sanctification is like we're being hardened spiritually hardened but not in a bad way but in a way that makes us resilient it builds us up you know and and we got to teach our kids that we can't they can't be soft like like they can't be malacoy they can't be effeminate soft men they need to be prepared for the world to take on the 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 harsh realities of what's going on out there because there's some really dark stuff going out there on out there man i mean i don't want my kids to experience what i experienced as a child but if they do i want them to know how to handle it you understand what i'm saying i want them to understand that like god's not to blame you know it's this vile world that has fallen so far from god that's to blame and the best thing they can do is lean on god for understanding and for strength and for resilience to, to grow from it and to become hardened in a good way like a hard target like a strong individual who 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 grows out of and doesn't cower in the corner but yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt Go well th- this gets into but no 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 i, I like that addition because this gets into my favorite quote by jordan peterson uh, i'm going to paraphrase it here a minute and he says you're not virtuous by being a rabbit the rabbit is not a virtuous creature you have to become a monster and then learn how to not act in a monstrous way Virtue is having the ability to harm somebody, but not doing it. And I'm glad you go. You, you were you were going this route of talking about the martial artist being hardened to to withstand punishment, because one of the things that happens is people become really um, educated in martial arts. Is the whole the whole thing is learning how not to fight, how to constrain yourself how to discipline yourself, how to be dangerous, but to not be violent by nature. You learn to hold back. You learn to not do. You learn to, you learn to take a few L's along the way. Just let them have their win. Just, you, you, you learn how to withstand much more by that kind of discipline, by that kind of hardening. It's you becoming more competent in how to live. Dude. You become dangerous. You're not a victim by any way, shape, or form. I got a Bible verse swelling up again, ready to be read. Let's do it. Can I read it? Can I read yep. it? Roman, yep. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Listen to that. We yep. glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Well, if there's not a Bible verse, that's the Bible verse that we're talking about here. This is what we're talking This is resilience in the faith. This is what makes us to preserve. There's no such thing as carnal Christianity. Get that crap out of here. That's garbage. It's garbage. We're meant 
we're meant to be pelted. We're meant to be built up and become stronger and stronger and stronger. We're not defeatists. I don't care if you have a pessimistic outlook. Even if you do, you're not meant to stick your head in the ground like an ostrich. You're not meant to do that. Augustine was pessimistic. Did he do that? No. No. None of the earliest Christians did that. Man, they faced their fears. They stood in the arenas and got burned on crosses and eaten by lions, man. These people want to just cower in the corner. I mean, I'm sick of it, dude. Well, that's, that's, and- that's, what, that's what characterizes our, at least I can't speak for you guys in Mississippi and Alabama, but here in North Carolina, this is what characterizes the Southern Baptist. This is what character we're either into entertainment consumerism or we cower in the corner. We make excuses for our, our cousins and our aunts and our uncles who went to church one time in their life and made a profession of faith and haven't gone back. And they're going to burn in hell because they're not showing faithfulness. And then we stick our heads in the ground and say, you know what? This is the way things are going to be because the Lord's coming back very soon. That's not how right. it's supposed to be, man. We're meant to be pelted. Like I said, we're meant to go through these trials and tribulations. We're not meant to be in luxury and comfort. That's effeminate, man. Men well, are meant I, to search for danger. And, and I'm going to throw another Bible verse. I mean, I've, I've brought this up maybe four or five times, but not in this podcast, but in other, pod, uh, other episodes. Uh, you know, Romans 12, you know, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one <clears> another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless <laughs> those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. These are pagans. He's not talking about fellow Christians here. He's talking about pagans. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no e- no one evil for evil, but give thought, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. It takes true masculinity to absorb all of the darts, all of the punishment that you're going to receive, and steadfastly continue in what is good, and to not be overcome by the passions that would have you react sinfully against these things. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this starts in the home. If your wife's nagging you, if she's acting out, then maybe it's because you really aren't paying enough attention to her. Or maybe it's because you haven't dealt rightly with her and haven't washed her in the water in the word. Maybe that's what she needs. Maybe she needs you to be a leader. Maybe she needs you to stand up. Maybe she needs mm-hmm. you to not drink for a while. Maybe mm-hmm. she needs you to not be smoking for a while. Maybe you mm-hmm. need to pay pay less attention to your car. And, and but, it's not that you can't have things that you have you have pride in things in, 
but your glory is supposed to be your wife. Yeah. <laughs> and you were supposed you were supposed to deal rightly with your wife. And that's where it starts. You have yeah. to have the right relationship with your wife. And then in that unity between you and your wife, because you're supposed to be one flesh, that unity that you have, then you pour your heart out to your children. And until you can do that, you're nothing you do will be effectual because you're a divided house and you will not be able to stand at all. Right. Right. So, you know, that this masculinity that we're talking about, this, this godly way of acting, it's dealing rightly inside yourself, learning where your faults are, repenting of your own sins, enduring all of the slings and darts and punishment that, God has provisioned for you all of the trials and tribulations that you're getting those are gifts from God they they are not these things on the outside that have just been randomly assailed upon you that are attacking you and beating you in the streets these are the these are the the struggles and the trials and the frustrations that God has allowed for your good all things work together for the good of those who were the called, the chosen, the ones that he brought into his house. All of those things, those negative things that you're getting, the pelting, the beatings, the cursings, all of these things, they are gifts from God. And you need to view them as gifts to really understand what you're getting. And you take those gifts and you become a mirror for the attributes of God such that you portray God to these people. And it starts in the home and it projects out from the home. Once you have become, once you uh, rebuilt in such a way as to really mirror this as a family. Amen. It reverberates. You're right. It, it reverberates it. Like I said earlier, it's, it's self it, it works both ways, man. Like it, the reverberation work it works both ways. So if 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 a if a man is weak, a Christian man particularly, if a man is weak, he's, if he's effeminate, his children, his wife walks on him, his children walk on him, his children grow up to be degenerate. This this has repercussions in the in the local community, in the broader community, in the nation, and and so on into the world. It becomes self fulfilling prophecy. Like these, this is the way things are supposed to be. No man, it's your fault. It's your fault. People like you need to stop with this cowardice. Act like men, like Paul says. Because, like I said, this has this has global implications. If a man is masculine in his home, his wife doesn't walk all over him. His children are obedient. They love the Lord. I mean, look look at my community where I'm at. I'm not going to say what county it's in, but let me let me tell you, there's a Baptist church on every doggone corner, man. It drives me nuts. None of them associate with one another. It's all about member stealing. Who can have the bigger church? Who can have the the who can have more programs? All these dumb little programs going on. It, it makes no sense to me. None of them will work together. Our city, this makes no sense. The city has the most Baptist church. The, the city is so concentrated with Baptist churches, it makes no sense why the city goes blue, but the greater county goes red on elections. And I'm not saying Republicans are – look, 
let's just be real for a second. The Republican Party is more reflective of conservative values than the Democrat Party. That's just a reality. Does the Republican Party suck? Yes. Are they progressive compared to what they were 10 years ago? Yes. But all in all, all other things being equal, to use an economic phrase, when we have more Baptists in the city than we do in the greater county, and our city goes blue, that's got to tell you something. That's got to tell you that we're having we're having no impact on our community, none whatsoever. Zilch, zada, nada, zip. And it makes no sense to me. It's because these men are men are cowards. The, the men behind the pulpits are cowards. The men in the pews are cowards. Their kids are cowards, and they go off to school and cower before their Marxist teachers, before their Marxist politicians, and they have no answer to these things except. This is just the way things are supposed to be. Things are supposed to get bad in the end. So I'm just going to stick my head in the sand and just let it be. I'm sorry. It, make, it just makes me angry because we have some pretty big Baptist churches in our in our county. And all they focus on is missions. Mission, 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 mission. And I'm like, it's BS, man. Don't Don't preach to me about missions if you're not having an impact in your community, man. Don't be going to the Netherlands. Don't be going to Africa. Don't be going to China. If you can't show me what you're doing here, I don't care what you're doing there. If you're not doing a thing here. Well, so, and there's to, to, ahead, to, to jump in or to jump in. Cause I've, I've just been enjoying y'all two going back and forth. <laughs> um, but, but I, th- I think one of the things that we really need to focus on, you know, is, is the local church. Like, well, obviously that's kind of what we're, we're, what we're going at here. But more than that, like instead of going and finding a, a seminary you know pastor to replace the pastor you have why don't we just take someone out of your congregation that has a love for the word and train them in house man i think that's the future i, I mean i really hey, do well, because hey. all the seminaries are going left okay well, let's, let's also deal with yeah let's also deal with this though guys if, if you're if your pastor isn't seminary trained if he doesn't have an education in the word of god why not try to gain uh, contacts or influence that could help him get trained? If he has a desire to learn, why not put effort into investing into your pastor to get him there? Get him where he needs to be. That man's leading your family. It's in your best interest to make sure that the man leading you and your family knows the word. Uh, absolutely. Well, I mean, to, to, to kind of jump in, though, but so one of the things that I'm looking at is, is the Log College, uh, formerly known as TNARS, uh, the North American Reform. That's where it went. I was looking. What's it called now? It, it, it's log the Log College? College. If you go if you go to TNARS.net, it's still there. Um, I, I've really been, you know, I considered it a few years back, but it just didn't fit my schedule. I think I'm going to apply for the at least the associates maybe this year. Maybe not the perfect model, but I think that's a better model than us uprooting a man from, you know, from the, you know, deep South Alabama, planting him into Louisville, Kentucky for, you know, six well, where years. Huh? Where's IRBS Institute of Reform, Reform Baptist Studies? It's somewhere in Texas. Like, I love Rich Barcelos and, and James and Sam Renahan, these guys, but it is stupid to have to uproot, move, Settle down in another state for four years 
get a formal education and then go and expect to be go expect to go back to your church where you were before. Like my pastor wants to go back. He 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 went to Fruitland, which is a popular little Baptist seminary here in, in North Carolina. He went to Fruitland for a couple of years. He he never finished his degree. He wants to go back. But my church uh, has failed him. And I will say that openly. And they know how I feel about this. They have failed him. His wife has to work to support the family uh, because he's not compensated uh, rightly. And obviously, he's not compensated enough to even go back to seminary. But he's a good preacher. I'll give him that. He's a good preacher. He studies. He reads a lot. But man, like the benefit of going back to school for him is immense. And, you know, he said something the other day that I admire. He's like, well, he's like, I can't afford to go back. So all I'm doing is just reading old dead guys. I'm like, well, that's what you got to do. That's the best you can do right now. But it's not structured. He he doesn't have any. uh, There's no uh, uh, syllabus. Right. There's no direct directed curricula. So it's just like flying by the seat of your pants. Uh, but as as Baptists, you know, this is why, again, going back to what I was saying before about being barely Baptist. We don't have an identity. You know, we think we do. We pretend we do. We we uh, being a Southern Baptist now doesn't even mean anything. Guess where the, the convention is going to be this year in Anaheim, California. That's not Southern. We might as well capitulate to J.D. Greer's uh, recommendation that we change our names to the Great Commission Baptist, which is still pretty stupid because Southern Baptists don't make disciples. We we put butts in seats and get people to raise their hands and do a profession of faith, and that's it. I, I wait Making, a point of order. I would actually prefer if the Southern Baptist did you know changed you know remove the word Southern. That way, we could actually have a true Southern Baptist convention based upon the right. actual founders <laughs> of Southern Baptist. Okay, and maybe, and maybe old maybe old pasty face Russell Moore won't be one of our uh, one of our Southern icons, right? Oh no. What that's will I ever do effect. without that's Russ a... Moore? Ugh. You won't. You won't have a pasty face as a. As a, I'm sorry. Listen, that man, he's I, a dandy. His face just looks like if you touched it, your fingers would stick. I know that's kind of juvenile, but I'm going to roll with it. All right. Well, I still like what <laughs> Douglas Wilson said about him. He's Malikos. He is. Yeah, he's he perfect, is. He is the perfect example of what that word means. And will the effeminate inherit the kingdom of God? No. No. Nope. No. No. That's why he went out from us because he is not of us, brother. Hey, well, uh, so so I just got back on Twitter recently, as y'all seen, uh, and I noticed that um, I, I noticed that yeah, Beth Moore is no of... longer Baptist. She went uh, Anglican. So all the Anglican brothers that listen to us, you're welcome. You can have her. Don't send her back. <laughs> well, you know, I got I got to say something about this. I, I have some Anglican brothers that I love. And they made some good points. Uh, uh, Dustin Messer, I think that's his name. Um, he made the point that uh, this is a, this is a beneficial time for her because she's in an ACNA church now. Granted, the ACNA has kind of turned <sighs> made a turn for the worse in in uh, some recent developments, but uh, hopefully she'll get what she needs there. Uh, as in, someone will finally tell her, "Sit down, shut up, and listen. You're a, you're 
she's a uh, what do they call it a, a cata uh what a catechumen that's what she is now so she's not a full member yet because she's got to go through confirmation so hopefully it will it will finally be ingrained in her mind listen you are not as important as you think you are you are insignificant Best and Lord, you need to stop you need to you need to stop thinking of yourself more than what you are that's straight out of scripture and that's what she has – her whole identity is built upon thinking of herself as more than what she truly is. And that's, that's precisely what her identity is. And hopefully she gets that in ACNA because the Southern Baptist Convention has been weak. Whatever church she was at before was an utter failure because to give her a platform at all and to not admonish her and to allow her to go from church to church to platform to platform, my goodness, dude, she even taught in Stephen Furtick's church. I mean, that's got to clue you in right there, right? Well, he's Southern Baptist, though. He's, he, nah, he, elevation. He, he elevation attend- left. Oh, okay. Well, he still has yeah. a degree from the Southern Baptist Univer- or, uh, Seminary. So. Well, they need well, to quit since- being heretics. They need to repent and believe. Gosh, I know. Yeah. Could you imagine? Elevation has become so big and powerful. If if a revival happened there, that'd be so awesome because they have campuses everywhere. But anyway, that's something we could pray about. But well, let me let me give a shameless plug for my Substack. It's called uh, uh well it's southern southern tradcon.substack.com. It's caught here's head, but you're not gonna be able to pronounce it right. When you see the when you see the title, you're gonna be like, that's not how it's pronounced. It's, it's got Irish. about a million letters in there. It's it's an Irish it's an Irish name because of one of my ancestors. But uh, <clears throat> one of my first articles was hating on Southern religion. It was actually my first one because there had been some people making this point. What you're talking about, I'm not going to say his name because he's an author of a recent book that came out that I actually like. Uh, is a good author, but he's not from the South, and he was talking trash about our quote unquote superficial religion that we have here. And I'm going to tell you something. This is what we were talking about earlier. Thank God for that superficiality. I'd rather have a cultural Christianity than a pagan than, than a pagan culture. At least, at least with the cultural Christianity, we have something to work with, and we have something that we can fall back on and and, and pull people into because there's familiar terms and we can correct people easier. It's just we have to have the the fortitude to do so, and and that involves changing the minds of the men in our churches. So let me read you this portion. It's a really long article, so I'm only going to read you a portion. Uh, most importantly, we love that Christianity Christianity is deeply ingrained in our culture. Has the gospel suffered over the years? Yes, it has. There's no doubt about it. It's a falling world after all. And if there's one thing we affirm, it's the imperfectibility of man. We know what it means to err or to err and what it means to live in denial and in a delusion. Baptist landmarkism started here after all. Started in Arkansas, J.M. Carroll, Trail Blood. Southerners since the Reconstruction era haven't really been able to rekindle an active and pervasive love for the classics and the traditional faith that once existed, a love to endure the darkest of times. Though now faint, they did, however, leave an indelible mark for us to cultivate. This is what I mean by deeply ingrained, quote unquote. The depth of our understanding isn't that it sh- isn't what it should be, but the root is so deeply planted that it's been difficult for our enemies to remove it, even as we help them in our ignorance, that is. 
We still believe in chivalry, manners, and the importance of religion and family. We just don't quite know why anymore, and it's all quickly fading. Our religious history is as complicated and bloody as any other part of our history, to be sure. Unfortunately, as it is with our neglect for biblical doctrine and philosophy, so it is with our understanding of our own said history. So, yeah. So, our roots are important. This was a this was a great conversation. Uh, I, I'm glad glad number three is here, Mr. Neal. Do it for um, Yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, not not Del Stenberg, Del Earnhardt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've got <laughs> we we've each got our soapboxes, but I, I, I'm it. I love I love the South. I love the pervasiveness of you know, Lord bless you. You know, God is good. You know, it, it, having a having a culture or these basic truths are understood and advocated for uh you could you can walk into you know any store or anybody's home and talk about this stuff even with a even on a superficial level i i love that that those conversations not only exist but they're enjoyable and the pervasiveness of christ that Christ is honored in the South, regardless of, you know, there's a lot of people who don't understand Christ. They don't understand who he, who he really was. They don't understand the fullness of his character. They understand the importance of Christ. And they, and they, and I, and I would, I would say that they love Christ. Uh, you know, many of them do. And having that as my culture, and having to redeem some of the other elements of my culture, I love that. Uh, and and I want to see that. I want to see all of the evils stripped away, and have, you know, a, 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 I'll use I like this phrase, but having the South baptized in Christ, and having it redeemed. I I, I want to see that. And that's that's been the focus. You know, we we mentioned this almost every podcast. That's but that's this is our focus, is we really want the South to to redirect itself to Christ, and to really become invested in Christ, in understanding who He is, in the worship, a true worship of the Trinity. Um, you know, to 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 the the question that was asked, you know, it, it, I, I I might <laughs> I might debate a little bit with the you know his his shade thrown at the idea of trauma you know but everybody's got their issues growing up right everybody's got problems nobody's perfect my children are going to have problems because i'm an imperfect man i have clay feet i do things that are evil and i don't even realize it you know david prayed in in psalm that god would forgive him of his secret sins of his hidden sins because our hearts are desperately wicked and they hide things from us so that we can't see them. And God's grace and, and mercy is, is big enough to forgive us of those things that we do that are evil, that we don't even understand are evil. But I'm, I'm grateful and I'm not resentful of my upbringing at all. 
In fact, I'm I'm grateful for it. I had a stable home life. I had a father who was honorable, who loved us, who who honestly tried with everything in his being to give us a good home and to teach us uh, uh, the morals of Christ, to teach us the ethic of Christ, to, to teach us a, a, a good way to live. And he tried to live that out as, you know, however imperfectly he was able to do it. And I want to continue that tradition, but I want to surpass him in that. I want to do better than my father did. I want to, I want my children to have a better uh, uh, home life in that way than, than I had growing up. And that doesn't mean I'm dishonoring my father in that. No, I'm, I'm taking what he gave me and I'm walking forward with it. Yeah, that's and, what every father should be like, right? Yeah. Yeah. Take, take what your yeah. father gave to you and, 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 and try in some small way to make it a little bit more perfect and, mm-hmm. and, and put it off into the future. And that, and that's, that's my goal. I'm, you know, I've got, I've got four kids now. I've got a wife. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to make things, make things work with me having to work out of state still for a little while longer. Um, you know, it, it's, this is, this is not easy. This is not what men were supposed to do being away from their family. Uh, I'm having to do that for a short period of time. Uh, but God is good and he's, he brings these struggles to us to help us to grow. So uh, I, I, I guess in total, um, no, I don't resent it because the truth was really grounded. It was really the root of what my, my, my upbringing tried to give me, what my father tried to invest in my upbringing. And I can't resent the fact that my father loved me enough to give me Christ. Despite Amen, any brother. mistakes that he made of, may have made uh and 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 as i get older i find that some of his mistakes were uh you know perhaps a matter of degree and not of kind (laughs) so um age age and fatherhood brings some wisdom so some of my criticisms i may not even see valid in the next 10 years we'll see but um you know god is good i can't resent that god that my father gave me christ uh because it, it, however imperfect the messenger, uh, Christ is everything. It's it's from Him, and to Him, and for Him that all things exist. So, uh, yeah, that's 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 how I'll end it, I guess. Yeah, I'm gonna echo some of what you said. Um, I'm glad that I had a fundamentalist and upbringing and very strict conservative parents i I think at some points they might have went overboard but you know we can argue about that later uh i think they did the best they could with the knowledge they had at the time Uh, again pre-internet stuck in one particular tradition etc etc but they, they gave me a great foundation within the fundamentals to actually be where i am today and no i'm not i'm not scarred and i'm not deeply traumatized sure there's there's things that um still hang around to this day that i'm still trying to um overcome and you know reform everything you know semper reformanda uh but to to bring all this thing home um i love the south i love my homeland i love the traditions that we have and uh to, to put a put a new spin on what 
Knox says, uh, Jonathan Knox, the great Scottish reformer, uh, give me Dixie else I die. And, um, I, I think that, I think that I want that to be my battle cry. No, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I think I want that to be my battle cry. I want, I want the South to become a Christian nation I more so than it Amen. already is. Amen. Hey, y'all don't forget January 17th is Lee Jackson day. Amen. Well, I don't know if that was an amen worthy comment, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Saint, they are saints worthy of of our observance. They don't have a feast day, but we should give them one. <laughs> hey, are, are we are we gonna have southern uh, southern holidays surrounding our uh, our heroes? We should. We should. Well, Saint Lee and Saint Jackson definitely deserve a good feast day. So here in the South, we'll go to the buffet for them. <laughs> that golden, that golden corral. That's right, Go, golden corral, bro. I'm talking like those backwoods home cafeteria, all you can eat buffets. I ain't talking about no golden corral. I, I would name some off, but that would that would dox me. <laughs> Making this nah, barbecue go, to the glory of God. We're gonna go waffle. We're gonna go waffle house. That's what we're doing. Okay, yeah, the waffle Hell house is yeah. definitely. <laughs> Uh, all right, y'all. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to DixiePolis at ProtonMail.com or send us a message on Gab. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website at SouthernRaisedBluegrass.com. God bless y'all. I know dark clouds will gather around me. I know my way is rough and steep, but beauteous fields lie just before me. Just